but my mom in the middle of my freshman year was like hey my friend's writing this book she wants she needs like more case studies like will you go talk to her this was in the middle of my freshman year and I had told her you know in detail my whole story I mean everything and she looked at me and she was like that's horrifying she was like I've never heard a story like that from someone who's 18. So that is part of my conversation with David P. He is 27 years old. He's sober since January 8th, 2017. My name is Mike S. This is another episode of Keep Coming Back, Real Stories of Sobriety and Recovery. So every so often, a friend or someone I used to drink with, or a parent, relative, will say something like, are you still not drinking? Or are you still doing the AA thing? And it's usually someone who was a friend from the past, obviously, that never really saw the full extent of what I was doing. And, you know, for the most part, when I would go out and drink, most of the time, it would go fine. It could even be fun. What these friends saw, what my parents saw, what my family saw, was probably just a guy who enjoyed a few more cocktails than most. It was fun. Maybe the worst they saw was someone with his eyes half open at the end of the night. I was always the guy that looked tired, looked like he was falling asleep. People would literally come up to me and say, you look tired. Or they might have seen someone that just looked like hell in the morning because in the morning is when my eyes were bloodshot, when the dark circles were under them, and I look like hell. But if those people got to see the full scope, and in this case, you know, what David was referring to and this woman that he was having the conversation with, and telling a story to, the reaction could be one which she had, which was one of being horrified. So it reminded me of this story. And in 2014, I was traveling with a friend to Cuba. And, you know, at this point, there was no open borders quite yet. So we had to go through Mexico. Uh, it was an amazing trip. We actually did it twice. And when I flew on a plane, usually I would use that as an excuse for just absolute oblivion. Pills, alcohol, anything I could get. It was usually the beginning of the vacation, so why not start the vacation now? I'm, I'm suspended in time. What kind of trouble could I get into for the next four hours? And when we landed in Mexico on the first part of the journey, the mix of the painkillers and the Xanax and the alcohol, it all had sort of taken its toll on both of us. And I woke up to the sound of the flight attendant screaming, Sir! Sir! And she was like shaking me and touching my shoulder. And I looked down, and the drink I had, whatever it was, screwdriver, who knows, had spilled in my lap. So they're like, my pants are wet. And in this sort of hazy state I was in, um, I could tell that we had landed. And not only had we landed, but the entire plane had already been deboarded, except me and my friend, who were just sort of drooling on ourselves in the third row and had passed out through the whole thing. And I, I tell you this story because like what that visual must have looked like, you know, me in that third row drooling, drink spilled on myself. No one saw that but me, right, and the flight attendants. But no one that mattered to me saw that. And the truth is, is I could probably point to 20 other situations just like that that no one saw but me or maybe a few other hardcore drinking buddies. But if they did, if they just saw one out of those 20, right, what would that perception be would they still say are you still doing the aa thing will they still say are you still not drinking 
And no, I, I don't think so. I think the whole perception of it was changed. And that's why, you know, I go to meetings, I do this. It's a way of remembering, you know, what it was like for me. So today's interview touches a lot on this. It touches on what it was like to get sober in college, what it was like to then relapse and then try again. And um, there's a lot of amazing stuff here. So I'm going to get to it. This is my conversation with David P. So one place that I always want to start, at least a little bit, is like, you know, like everyone has like the story. Right, and the story yeah, can yeah. vary person to person. Like I've heard the story about, hey, I got in the car accident, my friend's head went through the windshield, yeah. and I've heard the story about, my, in my case, like the crazy wedding speech. So yeah. the the story that like sums it all up varies yeah. person to person. But when you think about you, <laughs> what is that story? So, I was a blackout drinker, like hardcore, like thirteen blackout, and like when I say blackout, I mean like four hours. Don't, you know, I'm not, I have no memory of it. And and so when I started drinking, it was like 99% of the time I was blacking out. Was it like that from the get? Yeah. 13, like first time I drank, I blacked out. Yeah. And, um, and so I'll say a story that summarizes it is, um, I always try to qualify with this because I think it's important is, is the last time I drank, can I swear on this? Sure. The, the last time I drank, I shit myself in a bar in a blackout. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and like, that's not cool. Right. And so that was literally the last night. Which I drank. means that you woke up with shit in your pants. No, I, so I was at the bar. Somehow this happened. I, I, I don't have any memory of this. My friend said I left and I came back like 30 minutes later and I had a different pair of pants on. No idea, <laughs> no idea where I got them. Nothing. Right. And so like, that's, you know, I have all these times that I can share. That's like, oh, I was at this beach and you know, like all this stuff, right. That's like really sexy and fun and all that stuff. But it's like, that's where it took me right and like i like i have to be super honest with myself about that stuff you know and and it's important for me to remember when you think back though on the flip side like you said like the good stories like when times were good yeah when did you get sober i got your sobriety date uh january 8th 2017 january 8th so about three and a half years got it and you're i got sober before then too uh i'm 27 right now so i got sober at 24 okay but i first started going to AA when i was 21 what was the first reason or like what was the catalyst that got you in the first time yeah you know if if i back up a little bit so when i was growing up like i didn't want to do school right like all i wanted to do was sports which was cool and what was your sport uh, I played football, hockey, and lacrosse. And then in college, I ended up playing lacrosse. And um, I got really lucky I didn't blow up my knee. Like, I graduated high school with, like, a 2-4 GPA. Like, and you, where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Boston. Okay. Yeah, some very small town. By the time my senior year came around, like, I already knew something was off with my use. You know, and, and what I mean by that in my drinking was, like, a serious inside job. You know, like, I've never been arrested. I never got written up in college. I've never been fired from a job. Like, all these things, you know, that like, oh, when this happens, I'm going to get sober. When this happens, I'm going to get sober. And then all of a sudden, you know, by the time my senior year came around, like my emotions were just so volatile, you know? So I'd black out and like- Were I'd, you a fighter? Yeah, I'd black out and I'd cry. I'd black out and try to fight people. I'd black, like it was so volatile. No one knew who was going to show up. And so by the time my senior year came around, I was like, there's something a little off here. And and then, you know, I went to college. I went to a big university for the first year and a half of college. And when I was there, like, it was crazy. It's a very uh, heavy, heavy party school and Mm -hmm. drug school. I wasn't the craziest person there, but, like, whenever I drank, I couldn't stop. 
and, and it started freaking me out a little bit, you know, and, but I was around everyone else that was doing it. And so what was the f- part that freaked you out? Because the thing is in college, yeah. the reason, like I drank alcoholically in college, but I yeah. surrounded myself with enough people that it didn't <laughs> yeah. seem alcoholic. Yeah, right? yeah, and you yeah. said there was always someone else around that was doing it. Yeah. I certainly had a guy like that, that I kept <laughs> around that was worse than me. Yeah. And so like when you said like the writing was on the wall or yeah. like things started to disturb you. Yeah. yeah. Blackouts are disturbing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And you know what's funny is like, I mean, not funny. What What's interesting is the the team I was on there, like we probably had like three arrests a week, a weekend, and I never got arrested. And uh, and so there's always people worse than me. But was what was interesting- like the sports team that you're playing on. Yeah, okay. yeah. But what was interesting was like every time I drank and I woke up, like I, I wanted to get hit by a bus. Why? Like the sh- it was just this shame- and this like deep down regret that like I wasn't being the person I wanted to be the way I was treating people around me the way like I was conducting myself in school even like on my team like I just wasn't that great of a guy and when I was blacked out like it was all all bits are off you know like any responsibility that I had to anyone was off the table so like for me with the way that when people ask me what I was like when I drank I just say like I was really fun which is true (laughs) yeah and I would cross like yeah i'd cross and then the cross version of me would be mean and like completely irrational emotionally yeah meaning like some you could say one thing to me that i would it couldn't even be that bad but i would interpret it in a crazy way right and then i would react crazy yeah by like being like uh I'm leaving or i want you to leave or or totally yeah just get aggressive get super aggressive yeah no, I, I totally get that. And, and and I was pretty similar in a lot of ways, right? Like people didn't know who was coming out, right? Like people didn't know what Tanner was showing up to the bar. And it was, and I could hide it during my freshman year because it was a crazy school, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, and, and I'll get back to your original question of like what brought me in the first time. And, you know, I, I kind of, this summer after my freshman year in college, I, uh, I was up in Maine all summer at the, at the school place. And, um, you know, I kind of had an epiphany that I was like, I, I don't see where I'm going to head to. Like I'm heading down a, a bad path. And actually that epiphany came, my, my mother has a friend who's a professor at Harvard and, uh, she specializes in like addiction and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so my mom, to this day, we haven't talked about it, but my mom in the middle of my freshman year was like, Hey, my friend's writing this book. She wants, she needs like more case studies. Like, will you go talk to her? And I don't know, I don't even know if the lady has written a book. Like, I have no idea what it was, but, you know, so this is like December of my freshman year. And What and had your mom seen, do you think? You know. They, my drinking in my house, in my house, was yeah. like in my basement. My drinking was, I will say this, that my father worked really unusual hours. Yeah. So he would go to work at like one in the morning. Sure. And I would come home sometimes driving drunk at the same time that he would be going to work. Yeah. And so that path cross would be weird sometimes. Yeah. So they would see that. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you don't look too good. Right. But most of it was like in with my friends, like typical shit, like, you know, flip cup, quarters, yeah. that kind of stuff in the basement. Mine was a little worse than that. I'd say that like, because I, I blacked out every time I drank. So like when I was 16, I came home once and like, in a complete blackout, my dad was up and I vomited all over the house. Like, yeah. Like everywhere. And I woke up on the carpet upstairs and my dad was like, what are you doing? You know? And then my senior year in high school, 
you know, I came home from one of my friend's houses and I was in a, I was in a blackout and we were supposed to go to like dinner for my grandmother's birthday, right? Like I can't, you can't go to dinner for your grandmother's birthday in a blackout, right? So like that stuff happened a bunch, but what was really hard for them is like, where's that line, right? Like I was into college, like I, I was never getting in trouble. I was actually on the disciplinary committee of my high school, right. which is hilarious in a lot of ways. So like, where was that line for them, right? But I think, I think they saw it in a lot of ways of like, hey, some of this stuff's unusual, right? Like, like I'm always extreme, right? Like whatever I'm doing, I'm either going to do it 100% or 0%. And I'm like, fuck this. I don't want to do it. I also think they saw it in ways that I, would, I, that I wouldn't recognize then, but I see now. For mm-hmm. example, right? Mm-hmm. We were having a family party once. Mm-hmm. And I went with my dad to buy the liquor for the party. And my, let's say there was like 15 people coming and my dad bought like 20 beers. Yeah. And I was like, are you insane? <laughs> like, are you insane? Like, that's going to be for three people. Dad. Yeah. You know, but he was like, no, that's like, yeah. we're going to have some wine and yeah. beers. That's it. Yeah. And he probably looked at me like, what's up with you? Yeah. And that they notice you tick differently. Right. right? And and I remember my mom, there's, there's two things in particular that my mom, one was with my mom, one was with a friend. My mom. I was obsessing about something once in high school and I, I don't remember what it was, but and it had nothing to do with drugs or alcohol. But my mom looked at me and she grabbed my hands and she was like, stop, just, just stop. Like you can't do anything about it. Like just stop. And that was that, right. That anxious feeling, that tightness that I have, that I have to make sure I get something done. You know, that's not even in my control or it doesn't even matter. I couldn't even remember what it is at the time. Right. But that, that interaction of her just saying like, stop has always stuck with me because like, it's those little moments that I realized I ticked differently and that I couldn't stop. But isn't it funny that we have, and I'm the same way, by the way, yeah. this unbelievable urge to control everything and yeah. be in control yeah, and yeah. yet dose myself to a point of complete in- uncontrollability. Well, well, I think, you know, for me, why I did is because it could just that, right? Like that oblivion. I, I could I could actually be quiet mm. and stop. You know, I, I didn't have to live in my head anymore because at the time I had no tools of like how to get outside of my head. And the only tool I had was like, go to drink till I black out, right? And then once I black out, I don't know what's going on. Um, and and if you said, if I asked you, so like, what were you, where were you looking to get to? Yeah. What was it? Man, that's a, that's a good therapy question. I think um, I was just looking to be quiet and, and feel comfortable in my own skin, right? Because like every interaction I had with someone was like, was like, do they like me? Am I living up to whatever? It's like... Uh, am I meeting expectations? Am I exceeding expectations? Da, 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 all that stuff. And when I got to that point, like it just stopped, right? Like I didn't worry about how I was relating to everyone. I could just, I, I could actually just be. Mm. And it worked for a while until, right, until that switch flips. And then all of a sudden, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, right? I'm at the bar and I have to change my pants, right? right. And it's like, that's not cool. So, and, so your mom says, hey, my friend's writing this book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think about what being interviewed? Yeah, she she was like she needs more case studies. It's about teenage use and like would you mind just popping over to her house and like it was like 30 minutes away. I was like, "Yeah, whatever." And and so this wasn't even after this was in the middle of my freshman year. And I had told her, you know, in detail my whole story. I mean, everything that I had been doing since I was like 13 and shit like that. And she looked at me and she was like, "That's horrifying." She was like, "I've never heard a story like that from someone who's 18." And I was like, oh, you know, I brushed it off. I was like, whatever. Like, you know, it's probably just like kind of like my mom. She's just saying it, you know, but she didn't even play it down. No, I I told her the dead honest truth. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. And, and, but you know, what she told me was, and and this really has helped me in a lot of ways. She told me, she was like, if you ever need help, just let me know. 
And so if you that probably would have offended me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I, you know, I always wanted people please. And I was like, that's great. Like, I, I would love your help someday. Right. But yeah. like in my head, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck she's talking about. Right. I ended up transferring schools middle of my sophomore year to this school that's like smaller and quote unquote a better school. Right. And, and what I really find though is like that idea that really hit me was like, wherever I go, I go. And, you know, like it, it honestly just, just made things like worse for me. Right. Like all of a sudden I go from a school, 15,000 people. That's like very drug heavy to a school. That's like 1500, not drug heavy, not party heavy. And all of a sudden just like put me in there. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, it just like, it just took off, you know? And, and, um, basically I got into this relationship my junior year and I was drinking so much. So I was drinking like probably close to like 70 drinks a week and like playing sports and like trying to do this school thing and also do drugs and like have this relationship. And, and, but what happens every time I drink, like I have no responsibility to anyone, right? Like it's not this like self-fulfilling prophecy where I'm like, Oh, if I drink, I'm going to do this. It's like, as soon as I drink, I don't remember anything. Like, I don't think about anyone else. It's like, I need this next thing as fast as humanly possible. Right. But did you know, I mean, of course you had to know that if you were, if, if you know, every time I drink, I'm going to black out and then you drink anyway, which yeah. we both think is insane. Right. I understand it. But did right. you know that? Cause I had this false illusion. Like I always use cocaine as a perfect example. Like yeah, yeah, I could yeah, look yeah. at a line of cocaine <laughs> and be like, it's 10 PM. I'm three drinks in that line of cocaine is going to ruin my entire night. Yeah. yeah and yeah, I'm yeah. going to do it anyway. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I, I try to control it. Yeah. Like I tried to do the whole thing of like just beer, just liquor, uh, just drugs. If I have a girlfriend, if I don't have a girlfriend, if I'm playing sports, if I'm not playing sports, if I'm going to this really good school, if I, you know what I mean? Like I tried to do all those things. I knew that I was going to black out, but I thought I could like, sub, like make it a lesser blackout, like a brownout maybe. Yeah. I like, I, I just thought it was going to like stop at some point. Mm. I thought at some point, like I'd wake up and be like, this is like, I don't have to do this anymore. Yeah. I had, I had a, living girlfriend and when she moved in i was under the illusion i was like okay <laughs> yeah. now i'll calm down yeah, and yeah, what yeah. ended up being was i just would hide things like in crazy from her yeah totally uh, and it was become actually this acrobatic act to get oh, drugs my God. and, and then you're just stacking everything <laughs> on top of each other <laughs> yes. oh it's so exhausting you know and and then people like confront you about that stuff and then when the jig is up and you have nothing else and you just say i don't know they're like why are you doing this and you're like i don't know yeah. And it's like, fuck. When you get to that point, and that happened to me once in college, I was seeing someone who, you know, fit all these boxes and people were like, why are you cheating on this person? And I would just say, I don't know. Because I couldn't answer. I didn't understand what was happening inside of me and in my head that I had to feel better every moment. And whoever was closest to me was going to help me do that. Yeah. Right. And, and and that's that's all I lived. Like, that's how I woke up was like, okay, how am I going to feel better immediately? And I couldn't get that space between my head and my actions. And um, so that junior year comes and, and me and this girl I'm dating and just like, I mean, you can't live like that and implodes. And, and I actually think I had like a psychotic break. So I, I, I couldn't tell the true from the false anymore. I, I couldn't, like people would say, you know, if people would say like, Tanner, good job. Like I'd hear like, Tanner, you're a piece of shit. And like, I'd actually like, hear really? That. Yeah. Like, were, were they, what drugs were you doing? Uh, ecstasy, cocaine, weed. Okay. It was just like always a constant mix. I wasn't a big like pill guy. Right. Um, just wasn't my, cause I wanted to be up. I had to go do stuff, you know? 
And, um, and so I, I literally couldn't tell from the true from the false. And then like the season implodes and I went up to my old school and I did a bunch of stuff that basically like precluded me from going back to that school. And then my girlfriend at the time found out about it and it just like blew up. I mean, like blew up. Everyone was dragged through this drama. Would you get arrested? Yeah, it was like some arrested stuff and some stuff with women and like this whole this right. whole circus, right? But luckily it happened in May. And so June comes and I was like, all right, I just have to hold off this drama for like three weeks and then it's the summer, everyone's gonna forget. And that summer in between my junior and senior year, I moved to New York for an internship. Mm-hmm. And I started showing up to my, and this is like a, a very good internship, same place I still work now. I would show up to the internship and I'd still be drunk from the night before. My eyes would be bloodshot. I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't even like walk. I had, my liver was, um, inflamed, inflamed. Yeah. My okay. liver was inflamed. So it would hurt. Yeah. And at one, you know, so and the, but luckily the people I worked with were really young and they thought it was like funny that the intern was like, like this. Yeah. Um, at one point I was like laying down in a conference room and I had to go to the ER and get like EKGs cause my heart rate was irregular and, and all this stuff. And it was just crazy. And so back to that point about the, the Harvard lady, I called her up and I was just like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I was like, this. How much time had gone by? Two and a half years. Really? And you hadn't talked to her. Hadn't spoken. But you to had her. that number. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And and you know I've been really lucky that like I have these brief moments of like being able to ask for help and I do it. And so I called her and she connected me with this woman who was in the city. She had gone to Harvard, Columbia, and Yale for all of her like doctorates, PhDs, masters, and all that stuff. And I sat down with her for five minutes. Less than that. And she said, you're an alcoholic. There's nothing I can do to help you. You need to go to AA. And I was like, fuck. You know, I was 20 years old. And this woman's like telling me this. Did you know what AA was? No idea. Yeah. Like, I like, didn't either. I mean, I, I knew from had like- you heard of it? Yeah. I knew from like movies and I had some buddies who had older brothers and stuff like that in it. But I, I didn't I didn't know what it was. And, um, and it started this journey of me and her, me and her doing the thing of like, Let's count your drinks. She was a therapist. Yeah, she was a therapist. And she was like, well, let's count your drinks. Let's, you know, do this whole rigmarole and, you know, do these different variables, like only go out 8 to 10 p.m. You know what I mean? Like all those kind of variables that are like such bullshit anyway that I'm I'm, like, once I start, I'm not going to stop. And uh, we often lie. Now, I assume you were lying then. Well, I was kind of lying. I was trying. Right. But as soon as I started, I, she'd be like, how many do you have? And I'm like, I don't know. I blacked out. Like probably 30. Yeah, she, right. And she'd be like, that's way more than five. Like we talked about, right? And uh, and it's, you know, it's crazy. I, I got a new coach my senior year and the guy ended up being sober and mm. in AA. How'd you know? So he told us. He told us, he was like, hey, I'm sober. Um, you know, if you guys ever have any issues, just let me know. Yeah. And basically what happened was I tried to go back. I tried to be sober. And then by the time November hit, I was a mess. And and he saw it and I was supposed to be like a leader and like all this stuff. And he, and, and eventually one day I just broke down to him and I was like, I need help and I need to go to a meeting. And, you know, that started uh, me going to meetings, my, my junior, my, my senior year in November. And I got sober originally in Worcester, Massachusetts which is a pretty rough town mm. to put mildly. And I was going to a noontime meeting in Worcester, which was like all old timers. N- yeah, it was intense. I mean, there was like, it was intense. So the first person I'd ever met in AA besides my coach, like at a meeting had been in prison for over two decades for murder. 
that he had done in a blackout. And so he, I walk into this room and like, I was that a fear of yours, by the way, because that was a fear of mine that I would commit a crime in a blackout, wake up in a jail cell, life would be over. It was, but I try not to think about it because it freaked me out so right. much, right? But like, I didn't know what was going to happen, and and you know, like, would you, would you drive drunk? So what's interesting is, I mean, not interesting. It's it's sad. Is I I had a, a person that was a couple grades older than me in high school. We, everyone looked up to him. I grew up in a small town. It was like twelve hundred people. And he, this guy that was like, you know, all, all American guy died in high school, died in, when he was a freshman in college from dr- drinking and driving. And we were like juniors. Mm-hmm. And all of us were like, we're never going to like, you know, we saw it, we felt it and all that stuff. But fast forward, you know, that was a huge part of why I got sober the second time was drinking and driving because all of a sudden, like I was in blackouts and I was driving for an hour. I'd literally be complete. I would not remember a second of it driving on the highway and all that stuff for an hour. It's scary as hell to and think about looking back. Oh, my God. And it's just like – and, you know, you try to sweep it under the rug, right, and, like, all this stuff like that. And I remember, you know, points that were close to when I got sober the second time and this time around that I would be coming in and out driving and I'd be going, like, 70 miles per hour through, like, country roads. Right. Because I – Doing all the tricks that – I don't know. Did you do them? The, the windows rolled down, the yeah, radio yeah. blasting. Like, I would slap – I would literally <laughs> slap myself sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like that kind of stuff. But I also remember it was also like darker than that. It was also like I was getting to that point because this is a couple of years from, from when we stopped. Is like that I, I was done. And like I, I couldn't make it to 30. Like there was no shot. So you had thoughts like I don't even want to live? Yeah, I was like maybe I'll just crash the car, right? Like I'll, I'm going to do my best to drive it. But like if it crashes, like, you know, everyone will remember me for certain things. And like that'll be a good memory, right? Mm-hmm. And like maybe I'll just get like hit by a subway going to work one day. And then they'll be like, oh, that's a horrible accident. But like, I won't have to feel like this anymore. And, and when, we, when we get to those places, right, and we're emotionally and spiritually bankrupt, it's like, it's really dark. You know, like it's one thing to have like your job and finances taken from you and all that stuff. But like when you don't, when you can't look in the mirror anymore, be like, I feel good about how you're like conducting your life and like mm-hmm. how you're treating people on a regular basis. It's like, it's like you can't sit with yourself for very long. You know, and um, was your the coach that told you he was sober? Would he go with you to meetings? Not really. He kind of let me have my own thing. Yeah, and uh, which was good at the time. But yeah, this meeting was crazy. It was like it was like midnight on steroids. You're right, right. It was. I mean, literally, like knives were pulled. People would throw bicycles across the room. There was a person who OD'd in one of the meetings once because, like, a, a sober house and like halfway houses would come. Right, right. So like we had to call the ambulance. Like it was like. And I was like, holy shit, is this what AA is? Like, because it fit a lot of stereotypes, right? But it was a noontime meeting in a tough city. and um, But that could also validate a belief, an old belief, which is I don't belong here. Right, exactly. And and you know what's interesting is like, I was like, I don't, I was like, you know, I was like, do I? Like, am I being dramatic? Am I being a self-fulfilling prophecy of like, if I do this stuff, then like, of course I can't drink because I'll just think about it the whole time. But, you know, I went there and like people would share and we had very different outsides and like, I was like, fuck, that's how I feel, you know, like anxiousness, like the otherness, right? Like feeling no matter what, like I'm not, I'm not part of, right? And that feeling, um, that fleeting feeling that like, if I just get this, this time, like if I just get this external, if I just drink this drink, if I just have this drug, then everything will be okay. Then it'll be okay. Right. Then I can just sit and I can be, um, 
but you know, like that's that's not how it works, right? So obviously, you you drank after how long was the first stint of sobriety? So I, I was sober like eight months. That's a no. That's that's decent. Yeah, and and you know, no one really from school knew. Uh, one person knew that would drive me to meetings sometimes, but I use sports as a cover, and I would just say, "Oh, I'm sober for sure. the senior year and all this stuff like that." But you know, what happened from that meeting was I I got hooked into another meeting in Worcester that was like six guys and we'd sit around a table and they, they wouldn't let me talk very often. Right. Cause I was like, they were like, you don't have anything we want. And I was like, that's fair. And, uh, you know, I, I really learned, I started to learn there that like this thing was about like really emotional and, and really spiritual. And I'd start hearing them talk about like, you know, treating people right and stuff like that. And, and it was this seed that, um, got planted in me of like, okay, this is a place where I can go and I can be, right? Because like that noontime meeting, I was like, was just wild. And I could identify and I was like, I feel kind of better, but I would leave these meetings and I would feel spiritually better. But you know, like senior year, by the time spring rolled around or like graduation, like I couldn't be, so, like, I was like, no one's sober. How could I ever be sober? And, you know, that started a year and a half journey of, um, that just sucked. And it's true. I'm sure what they say, like once you go to AA, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. Did it ruin your drinking? Not really. And it's really weird. And I always feel weird, Greg, because it's one of those things that people say in AA and you're like, well, that I don't have that experience. So like, you know what I mean? So you don't want to like go against yeah. rough, I, rough I, the feathers. I, yeah. I would like, go to meetings and then drink afterwards. And then I would well, yeah, like yeah, yeah. see, well, the worst part was I would see people from meetings <laughs> yeah. like at the restaurant I was at and I'd be like, ah, shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. This guy's here ruining everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, for me, for the first like year, it it didn't as much like when I started drinking I didn't I didn't think about anything I didn't I wasn't like oh my god AA like I was just off to the races like I I I had I had to start I had to start filling that what they call a god sized hole right I had to start getting as much stuff as I could so I couldn't worry about anything else um, I will say you know there were some striking points when I went out you know during that spring that's that summer I was you know, kind of seeing someone and eventually they turned to me and they were like, look, you scare me. They're like you. And, and I never got violent with her. I never, none of that stuff. I wouldn't yell at her or anything like that. But she was like, you're, you're a totally different person. Like you're not you as soon as you start drinking. And she was like, you just like, we can't talk anymore. You know what I mean? And yeah, I got to the point, I mean, I was doing like over a hundred drinks a week, three or four grams of cocaine a week. Like it was, it was a lot. Yeah. And, um, so when does it finally, yeah. What's the end? The end, so for about like four months before I get sober, so I live in New York for about a year, four months before I get sober, I start going to meetings in New York, like once a month when I wanted to like blow my brains out. Right. And I was like, this sucks. But I'd literally walk out of the meeting and go to a bar. Yeah, yeah. Because I'd be like, these people are stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. You wouldn't share in the meeting. You would no, just sit in the sit back. in the back right. and, then, and then go. But I was like, but I knew in the back of my head, like this place was like, there was something happening here, right? Like people that I knew were like, this works. And what really happened to me was like drinking had stopped working when I was like 18, mm-hmm. right? And then drugs were working and then drugs stopped working when I was like 21. And then, you know, like validation in relationships, right? And that stopped working when I was like 23. Like it was just bringing me so much pain because like nothing was making me feel better anymore that over that course of the four months, I was like, I can't like, like my tools aren't working anymore, mm. right? And like, I, I just couldn't do it. And you know, like, I look around and I was like, how do people get out to work on time? Like I work in an office, I wear a suit and I'd wear like hiking socks to work. 
in like dress shoes. Cause I was just like, how do you do your laundry? Like, how do you, <laughs> how do you change your sheets? Right? Like, how do you go to the dentist? Like I couldn't do these things. I literally, yeah. I just couldn't do it. And I was like, I was a mess. And, um, but what's really important for me and why like, you know, a is so great. Like the hoop is so wide is like, I had, I had some external things then which I clung on to, which kept me out for so long, but like emotionally and spiritually, I was a mess. I was totally bankrupt. I could not relate anymore to people. Like I couldn't, you know, I, I remember. And it was most of like the, the activity, the drinking, the hundred drinks, like was a solo or you were. No, no, I was out. I made a point to not cross that line. You were um, not a, a solo drinker. No, never. Um, and, but that's like, that's a thing of manageability, right? I was like, oh, if I never drink alone, I'm not an alcoholic. Right. And it's like, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense, right? Like you, you're still destroying your life. I had this moment when I was home once and, uh, and I was talking to my dad and I was like complaining about some girlfriend or something like that at the time. And I was like, she's so this, da, 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 da. and my dad was like, you know, I've known you for, you know, 23 years yeah. and, uh, and I've met all of your ex-girlfriends and like, they're really nice people. And like, you're the only common denominator. And I was like, fuck, you know? And like those kind of moments started happening to me where I realized like I was the only thing that was common in all these situations, right? Like I was mm -hmm. the only thing that was always out. I was the only thing, like when I went to different schools, I was the only thing that was at those schools, right? When I was there and, and I couldn't find, I was losing the variables to make excuses. And so, you know, I woke up on, on January 7th and I went to a, uh, someone's like birthday, uh, lunch mm -hmm. and we were drinking and I blacked out there and I went to a bar and you know, like nothing, nothing was crazy. Right. Like it was just a normal, I was doing drugs. Like it was normal, you know? And, and I woke up and, um, and I was just done. Then this is the day you shit your pants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's not normal. But, right. <laughs> but that's, but you know, like what's scary is like, that's not what broke the camel's back. Like I didn't wake up and being like, that's unacceptable. Like I don't want to live like that. <laughs> right. And like that, like that's a sign that like, if that's not what breaks the, yeah. the, the, the camel's back, but I woke up and I was just like, I can't live like this anymore. You know, like I, I just had been chasing a ghost and I just, I, I couldn't catch it. You know, I could think about, I had said that phrase so many times. Mm -hmm. It was always on a Sunday for me. Yeah. So yeah. And this Sundays, is, a, this is a Sunday. Yeah. Where I like, I just can't do this anymore. But then on Thursday though, it was back on again. Yeah. And so what, for me at least part, that's part of my story is what I finally reached out to another mm -hmm. alcoholic. I only knew one. Yeah. And that, and that was it. Because also like you, or you mentioned in college, like you were like, no one knew. Yeah. I one guy. Totally. I kept it super close to the vest. Like even totally. I get, there was a guy who drank worse than me and drug worse than me. I didn't even tell him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't yeah. want to ruin the relationship. Right. Because what if you, what if you need that relationship That's right. back, right? Like That's there's, right. A, there's only a reason for it. So this time was different, even though it was, you know, you shot your pants, but this time was different for other reasons. Yeah. And, and you know, it's hard for me to describe what that is. Right. And like. I just broke. Like, I, you know, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. Like, my parents had helped me move apartments in New York um, like four months before that. And I was so hungover the other day. I was vomiting the entire day. I couldn't see straight. And my, my poor parents had driven down to spend the day with me. Mm. And to do that, they helped me move. And I literally couldn't do it. I, I slept in an apartment that I was moving out of. And they had moved like... Like, it was just, like, so demoralizing the way I was living. I think a lot of it also was, like you talked about, yeah. you laid it out very nicely, actually. Like, drinking wasn't working and drugging wasn't working. Yeah. So eventually, like, 
I had a running joke with my buddy who would say, yeah, like, yeah, we would be yeah. like, I think these pills are fake. Or I think this <laughs> yeah. Coke is fake. Because, yeah. like, it literally wasn't working. Yeah. Nothing was making me happy anymore. You know, luckily, I started on the journey of, like, I told, I told like, all the people close to me. I told them, I was like, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing 90 meetings in 90 days. I have to get sober. I need your support. Did you pick a sponsor or did your sponsor pick you? Uh, my sponsor picked me. He did the classic, uh, you know, I'll temporary sponsor you for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what's funny is that night, uh, it was like a week later that I got a sponsor. And the night that we were at a meeting, he was with his sponsor. And a year later, I was with his sponsor at a meeting. And he was like, he was like, you're going to sponsor that guy across the room. And I was like, I, I was like, I haven't talked to like my sponsor yet. And he was like, you're going to sponsor him. And I realized like, that's probably how the conversation went. Cause I was my sponsor's first sponsee too. Uh, so it was kind of cool. Those, those little moments. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, you know, I, one, that's one thing I realized by the way, like, you know, in most meetings they say, if, you know, if you can be a sponsor, raise your hand and I, and that's not going to cut it. No, you got to no. go up to someone and, and make it happen. You, you, you have to. And, and, you know, I think what's really important is like, is that community aspect, right? Like for me, what I miss so much about New York right now, like, and, and it's on zoom and I think that's phenomenal, but that community aspect is so important, right? Like I wouldn't have. So like I was probably like four months sober and, and at my home group on the weekends, there's really good dudes who are like 40 years sober and shit like that. What do you consider your home group? Triangle. Triangle. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I'd go out with these guys after after the meeting at like noon for, for a diner and it'd be like me and like three or four, like 60 or 70 year old guys and like one other person. I'd be like, this is my life, you know? And like I, you know, I'd have... One time I remember distinctly one of my roommates called me and was like, hey, I have ecstasy. I'm meeting up with these girls on a rooftop. Like, come with me. And I was like, fuck. And so, like, I was waiting, like, what I was going through. I was like, do I go to this rooftop or do I go to a diner with, like, 70-year-old dudes? Right. And, like... You in know, my head, I probably would have been like, I'll go and I'll pretend to take the ecstasy. <laughs> yeah, right. Fine. Go around it. Fine. <laughs> right. And you try to play that whole game with right. yourself. Uh-huh. And luckily... When I was faced with those moments, the community was so loving and was so excited that I was part of it, right? That like I chose to go to the diner with these guys. And then three hours later, it was like, you know, I don't need to go do that thing, right? And and that's what's the amazing part is like, you know, when I think too far ahead right now, I'm like, holy shit, I can't do anything, right? But what I was able to do because people taught me was like, just just worry about like this afternoon, right? Like just worry about going to bed sober. And I was like, oh, like I can make this into bite-sized chunks, right? And and that really helped. And, you know, something I learned, I, I remember I called my sponsor once at like eight in the morning and I was like, I can't make it through the day. Like I'm fucked. Mm-hmm. You know, like everything had gone wrong and like all this stuff. And he was like, look, like, why don't you just start your day over? Why don't you start your day at 8.01? And I was just like, whoa. You know, like my mind blew that like my day didn't have to be this like rigid thing from like 6 a.m. or whatever till I went to bed that I could I could just start over, right? And I started to learn like I could relate differently, you know? I had to, if anyone ever asked me like, yeah. what's a piece of advice? Like for me, like, because I would get the way, I told you I quit every Sunday, right? For like five <laughs> yeah. years. So I had that debate. What am I going to do so many times? And of course, mm-hmm. once it was in my head, it was over. There was no debate, even though it was, right? Like mm-hmm. I was already dialing or I was already walking someplace. Yeah. So once that debate started when I had, you know, 10 days, 20 days, whatever it was, like I had to move. 
I had to move myself. Mm-hmm. Like I had to go for a walk. I had mm-hmm. to like get in the car and just drive anywhere. Like mm-hmm. I didn't even know where I was going. <laughs> yeah. I just had to go someplace. Yeah. No, and I like, just like you, you said, like break it up into chunks. Like I wasn't thinking like I'm sober for the rest of my life. Like oh, God, it was no. like, I need to, my goal was how do I literally like, I felt like, you know, the prisoner in Shawshank making <laughs> yeah, a squiggly, right, right. squiggly red X. Yeah. I was like, I need to collect <sighs> 60 days or I need to collect these days, sure. get them together. Sure. Um, that's what I had to do. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I get that, man. Like I'd leave meetings and it'd be like Friday night and I'd be like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. I picked up cigarettes. Yep. Like nicotine is yeah. not a thing for me. Thank God. So like I can pick them up, put them down, but like picked up cigarettes. Like I went camping a lot. Like, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff that was just like, I started to fill my time differently. Right. Like, but what was really cool was like, you know, it was like, oh, I live in New York and, and, but I don't do anything. Like I go to some bar that's like dark and I get blacked out and I leave. Like right. that's, that's my New York. And then all of a sudden I was in meetings and like people would be like, oh, I'm going to check out this exhibit or like, oh, I'm going to go check out this really cool thing. Or I'm just going to go walk around the city. And all of a sudden like I was part of New York, right? Like mm-hmm. I, before I wasn't part of New York, I was in some like weird, like vortex of like just getting blacked out and like vomiting on myself or something right. like that right because also like i had this weird association that i was like drinking is living yes totally right? that's like sort of totally. hemming way like yeah, this is yeah. you know this is living what i want to pause for a second sure. so i said uh i wanted you to pick a topic today that you wanted to talk about sure and this would be a good time yeah um you know that's that's, that's always a hard question for you know i i i was really thinking about today um just being quiet Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think that's my topic, like the ability of just accepting quietness. What do you mean by that? So, you know, like when I was out and about and even in early sobriety and now when I'm not in an emotionally good place, like I can't sit, I can't be with myself. And so what I mean by quiet and, and maybe maybe a better term is like building up pause. Um, and, and, and so what I mean by that is like, am I able to on a day to day basis just be quiet? Right. Because before when I was out there, like whenever someone would say something to me, I already knew what I was going to say. Right. Like everything was already predetermined and I was mapping everything out and all this kind of stuff. And and now, you know, what I really cherish about being sober is that I can just be quiet. Like I don't have to say anything. Yeah. I can actually just listen. And um, and that's enough. This gets into the topic that I talk about with my sponsor a lot, which is um, the importance of our own opinions. (laughs) <laughs> right, yeah. which I, of course I think is so important. Right, right. But the right. thing is, most of the time people aren't asking for it. I'm just no. freely giving it. Yeah, and that's the problem. Right, and and most people don't want it. They don't want it. No, no. And, and even though I know that I know best, right? Right. And, well, what makes you happier than when someone says, "Can I ask your opinion on something?" <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my god, I bells and whistles. I'm lighting up. Right. Go ahead. And it's like, well, you know, I've been thinking about this for ten years, right? right. And um, <laughs> and, and it's like. And and that's something I've learned in sobriety too of like of being and and I ask people you know I'm, I'm dating someone now and I'll ask her when she says something she, I'll be like do you want my opinion and oftentimes she's like no I don't I don't want your opinion right like now how do I you react when she says no I just say okay yeah you know at first though when she said that I'd be like what I'd be like what do you mean like I I can solve this for you right like right. I can solve every problem and, and that's my mentality it's like I know like I can do this you know and I don't want to ask for help and um. 
but when you look at the the data of me being out there, like I can't do this. I couldn't go to the dentist. I couldn't change my sheets. Like I couldn't even wear socks to work. You know what I mean? Like all this kind of stuff. And it's like, yet I think I know best. Well, then it's especially like, I don't know if you felt this way when you finally got some momentum and time combined yeah, together. Sure. I thought, why isn't everyone else doing this? Don't you understand that this is better? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then I start to see uh, my friends doing this and I think I know better and yeah. I'm going to let you know that I know better. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the part of, of just sitting quietly for me is like, is like, just shut up, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think for the meetings that I went to, a lot of times there were so many older, like I, I take the position in meetings when I first got sober, like I didn't really share mm. um, because like I didn't know fucking shit about shit. And like, I still really don't, but like I have a little more time than most people probably in the rooms generally which is like a whole nother thing, right? And and so it's like, okay, I have some experience that I should share, but when I first got sober, it was like, I don't have anything to share. Like, I don't know anything about what's going on. Like, I'm But so- you did have something to share. You had a mind that was racing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And sometimes that needs like a tea kettle to get let out. Right, when I was about to combust. Right. right? And, and I think for me, like I didn't trust anyone when I first came in, that how I did that was in the fellowship. How I approached it was like I I would let I would let ideas out and people would be like what are you talking about like that is a dumb idea right and and that's kind of how I approached it because like I was so fearful of people and and I don't I mean I still like I don't trust anyone right mm-hmm. and and it's that guard that I have you know and, and that's a whole other thing that I need to work on but it's like you know I I really took this idea of like I'm gonna ask people very specific questions that I know have a lot more time than me. Right. Cause, and, and I think, um, but what's amazing though is about beginners is there's meetings that I, I found that were like just beginners meetings. Right. And that I would share every time. And so I'd go to a couple right. a week, but I really took the approach and the tact of like, just listen. Cause I was so tired of just like running so much bullshit all the time and like so many lies just stacked on top of each other. And like, you know, what did I say to this person? What did I say to this person? And like, I was just running around all the time and I was so tired. I mean, it's so cliche, but I was, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right. You know, like when you talk about the whole God thing, right? Like we haven't talked about God a lot, but like, that's a whole nother thing. Like, Let's I, talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't worry if God exists or doesn't exist, right? Like I, because the steps of AA kind of tell you, you should worry about it, not worry yeah. about it, but that you should be, uh, it should be inter- integrated into your program, so to speak. Totally. And, and for me, you know, I took it as simple as like, because the second step is I like came to believe that in a power greater mm-hmm. than yourself. And I took it, I was like, yo, if I get hit by a truck, I'm going to die. If, if the ocean wants to pull me out one day, I'm going to die, right? So like I became very comfortable that there's these notions of things that were greater than me. Like space, can't solve it. No idea what's out there. That's greater than me, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I became comfortable with this idea for me that was like, hey, you know, I, if these things are greater than me, Maybe this group is greater than I am in terms of thinking. And so, like, maybe I can ask them for help. Right. right? So and that that's was your first I, sort of higher power. Yeah. yeah same. That, that's what I became comfortable with. And, and I think even today, like, you know, higher power to me means, honestly, means sitting quietly and, and, and finding pause, right? Pause between my thoughts and my actions. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a higher power to me. When, when you, I feel like when I listen, I like listening to you in meetings a lot, actually, because I feel you. like you have a very good sense of, uh, yourself. Thank you. And so when you did your fourth step, yeah. Um, what did you learn about yourself? And then what did you do with that? Uh, you know, I don't know if you're going to, you're going to love this. The fourth step wasn't that radical for me. 
So I had one of my best friends that I grew up with, this this girl that I gave a great amount to. I mean, we're, we're like, she's like my sister. She knew everything. Mm-hmm. Like, she, I mean, everything. So there was already people in my life that knew stuff. For me, what was great about the fourth step was that I could just stop it. Like, I could just stop. Like, I didn't- What's it? That's a great point, right? And for me, how I look at it is like chasing that ghost. And what it comes in is, is that feeling of like, like, I'm okay, just me. Like, I'm enough. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I really took away. Like, I didn't need all this stuff. I didn't need um, these, like, chasing these relationships in quotes. I didn't need all these angry resentments. I didn't need these fears. Like, I didn't need to live that way anymore. And I think that's what I really started to realize was that, you know, not necessarily about myself, but what I started to realize was that there's another way to live. I was doing a step work with Sponsy yesterday. Yeah, we yeah. reading. He's on step 10. So nice. every time I reread one of these things, I, something else sticks out, right? Yeah, totally. And so there was something in the 12 and 12 that basically said, alcoholics put people into two buckets. Yeah. The people we hate and the people we love. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so basically you had a choice there. And I've done this too in my process where like, People that I resented were in my hate bucket. Yeah. Or people that I've wronged, yeah, fuck I em. threw in there anyway. Yeah, fuck them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And like we're able to take people out and switch buckets. Totally. And, and and what I realized though also is that there's not two buckets. Exactly. Right? Is exactly. That, is that there's a whole spectrum, right? And just like me, like I piss people off all the time, right? Like, but yet some people love me, right? And so it's like, it's this gray area where like we're just existing and that's when I can really start to relate to people. Now the sponsee yeah. then says to me, to your point, he goes, "But there, there's a middle," and and he goes, "Don't you think regular people also do that too, where they put people in the two buckets?" Yeah. I said, "I do." What yeah. would you have said? I, I said, "Yeah, totally." But the problem is, we don't have the luxury for the hate bucket, right? Exactly. Right? Like we, we exactly. don't, right? Like, like I will have an interaction with someone that's negative, and I'll think about it for three days, and it's like something so mm. trivial, like someone will bump me on the subway. And that literally takes up my space mentally for like three days. Somebody, uh, I was at an outdoor restaurant and the, he was with his girlfriend. He turned away from his girlfriend to sneeze and then sneezed on my table. Oh and my so God. like, and I'm still thinking about it. Yeah, totally. And, and it's like, but we, so we don't have that luxury, right? right? right. And, and if we want to be useful and have these type of moments that we get to have, then, then we got to change. And, and, you know, also say that like, Something that was really paramount that it says in the book that, that I don't think gets talked about enough is when it talks about when we get sober, we have a psychic change. Mm-hmm. And to me, you know, the best way that I can describe it, like I wasn't grateful for fucking anything before I got sober, anything. I always didn't have enough. And, uh, and you know, what for me, what that psychic change brings is, is now, you know, b- before COVID, like I would get out, I would, I would get out of work, work a really long day and I'd come up and it would be out of the subway walking my neighborhood and I would just start crying. Because I, I'm so full, you know, and, and emotionally and spiritually. And like, I have an opportunity today to, to actually just like be nice to people. Mm. And, and it's so, um, it's so fundamental. And, and so it's, it's crazy that it works. You know what I mean? So last one, cause we're actually, we're bumping up against an hour and it's sure. 90 degrees in here. Yeah. It's not, it's not cold. It, you know what it is? It's cause I can't keep the AC on cause it, then it just makes too much noise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. uh, I always ask people because I have a lot of newcomers that listen and then write in sure. and they say, you know, I got 30 days, 10 days. So sure. what's the best piece of advice or best two pieces of advice that you think if you're just trying to get to those first 90 days that you would give someone? You know, I, I tell my sponsees a lot, and I don't really know if it clicks with them, but it clicks with me. So I, I tell them a lot just to keep themselves in the game. 
And, and what I mean by that is like, I, I tell him, I'm like, you're going to do some like dumb ass shit over these next like 90 days and year, but just ask for help, you know? And, and, and by keeping yourself in the game and having that mindset of like, I'm just, I'm just going to keep doing this thing is so paramount, right? Like I had a sponsor, you called me last night and he was like, he was like, Hey, and he was like 10 days. And he was like, Hey, I'm going to ask this girl out. And I was like, okay. I was like, you know, go for it, but I'm letting you know it's not going to go. It's probably not going to go well, but what I need you to do is make sure you're being honest with me. And so I think, you know, what it distills down for me for like keeping yourself in the game is just be honest, right? Because like, if you're not honest, then like how is anyone supposed to help you, mm-hmm. right? Like if, my, if that sponsee calls me in like a week and it's like, I just moved in with this girl that I met last week. And you know what I mean? It's this whole thing. I'm like, dude, I, I can't help you. Like, I don't know what's going on. And so I think, you know, by keeping yourself in the game, and giving yourself a shot, right? And, and sticking around and just trying to listen little by little, you know, cool things can happen. And I think, you know, this thing stacks up and it's it's pretty incredible. Um, not that every day is unbelievable, but it's pretty awesome. I'm going to end it there. Yeah. Thanks, brother. No, that thank was you. Great. That was awesome, man. My thanks to David P for having this amazing conversation with me. Uh, there's a couple ways you can write if you want to write me, respond, tell me something I'm doing wrong. Uh, it's keepcomingbackpodcast at gmail.com or it's at KCB Podcast on Instagram if you want to write me there. I try to get back to almost all of them. Um, again, this is my weekly reminder to write a review. It makes the podcast more discoverable to people. It's a great way to find it on Spotify or on iTunes. And, uh, you know, I know it's been tough to record for me lately. It's been harder to find guests to sit down with me in person. Just know that I'm working on it. It's something that I'd like to keep doing. So with that, I will be back next week. And uh, my name is Mike Guest. This has been another episode of Keep Coming Back, Real Stories of Sobriety and Recovery. And I'll see you then.